Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and highly regulated industry. I am very pleased to have today's guest on today's episode, mostly because I've been trying to get him on the show for the better part of the year, but he's sort of become a quasi-celeb in the receivables management world. Um, So we're very excited to talk with Tim Collins, who is the new chief customer officer of a fintech slash receivables management company called Indebted, based out of uh, Australia, and who has now officially planted their flag and growing quickly in the United States. Um, Before we get to our conversation with Tim, I have to make sure to thank our sponsor for today's episode, BAI. For those of you unfamiliar, visit BAI.org. They are the premier leader um, in the financial services industry of training, education, and compliance support. Um, They've also released a new curriculum for non-bank financial services professionals. Yours truly may or may not have had something to do with putting together of that curriculum. Um, But if you would like training for your non-bank employees on Reg F, compliance, fair debt collection, everything you can imagine, please check that out, BAI.org. Okay, Tim, welcome to the show, finally, Tim Collins. Dara, I can't thank you enough for having me on the show and uh, keeping after me. Things have been a little bit hectic, but it is truly an honor and a privilege uh, to be to be here today and be able to speak with you and, and learn from you. I do every single time, so... Thank you for having me here. Oh, absolutely. Um, So, Tim, um, you are no stranger to the wonderful world of receivables management, um, but your role at Indebted is a little bit different than the path that you'd historically taken. Um, So for those of you that don't know, uh, Tim and I go go back. We go back some years. Um, Tim is, uh, don't hold this against him, but he is a lawyer like me. And every once in a while, we have to have other lawyers on the show um, to, you know, like give me a hard time about the things that I'm thinking and saying. So I'm sure Tim is going to be well prepared to do that. Uh, but Tim, your role at Indebted is slightly different than some of your previous general counsel roles. Tell us about what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. So um, 15 months ago, I joined Indebted and to um, help them really launch in the United States and glo- uh, gro- globally. And, and you're absolutely right the way you described it, Dara. It's a, it's a fintech company that does the debt collection. That's the way that we look at ourselves. We look at using technology first to solve the debt collection problems instead of using humans first. Um, I've had uh, in my role a, um, the compliance, legal, and operation side. And you don't really see those combined together. But we are so focused on customer that there's an alignment that fits that. And I... And I think you can do that for a while. And at some point that's going to shift because you're going to have to pivot away from that because you can't have compliance and observations. Yeah, the most companies try to keep the lawyers away from their customers. Yes, absolutely. A- absolutely. <laughs> but if you can combine those two in, which we've seen, it's been our experience, right? Is that you have this opportunity to, to look at things from a compliance perspective first, because you always have operations going, I need to, I want to do something. And then they come up with this idea and then they come to, to compliance and depending upon the compliance department, or if they don't use you for outside counsel, 
they get no. A lot and of no's. There's a lot of no's because lawyers are trained to remove risk. And um, that's really what their goal is. But if you have the right team in place, then, and you're working from the very beginning, it's like, what are you trying to accomplish? And then here's the way to do it compliantly. So you are actually speed to market goes much faster because operations and compliance are working together. Operations has got their goal. Compliance is in there from the very beginning on, on how to help them do that. So that's been the exciting piece. I think it likely takes a very special type of lawyer and a type of personality to, to like gel and mesh those functions uh, seamlessly. Uh, so I, I mean, for whoever at Indebted, your bosses who are listening, y'all are very, very lucky to have Tim because he's got the perfect combination of those skills and all of the years that I've come to know him. Um, so Tim, we've talked about sort of like the role. I really want to understand what Indebted is doing that is so very different than the way collections and receivables have been managed by financial institutions to date? Because it really is, it really is quite different, at least from my perspective. So, you know, all of our listeners want to know why you, why you guys so cool. Okay. Well, I'll start with the secret sauce. Um, and the, the biggest difference that I've seen is this, this 100% focus on customer. And historically, we've always focused on clients, right? Get the clients on board, you know, do the client requirements, you know, four calls in the first day, get a letter within 48 hours. It's everything that we've normally seen, right, before. The, the whole premise that we've started with is start with the customer and make that customer experience um, as frictionless as you possibly can, as positive as you possibly can, and the clients will follow, right? So it's a different model. We're not calling in the first four hours. We don't call. Uh, we do do uh, return phone calls, uh, but there's no outbound calling strategy. It's because customers don't want to be communicated with that way. So I mean, not anymore, right? Like part of what I find so interesting about your approach is that it really does align quite well with the sentiment behind the new regulation F in terms of focusing on customer preference and customer experience. And companies that now have to operate under that regulation have to be putting that at the top of their priority list. It's no longer about, well, this bank wants me to make X number of calls in X number of days. We have to throw all of that out the window now, right? Yeah, you absolutely do. I mean, this, they, the CPB made it very, very clear in the seven, 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 and seven, and seven, seven rule. So many sevens. Uh, there's a lot all of the sevens. sevens. Yeah, all the sevens. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. They, there's this move from call and collect to something else. And they, and, and they believe that it's digital and digital works. And so that's where the fintech side of the business comes in from us. So we look at everything from a, from a tech, how am I gonna be able to communicate with you effectively using email, text messaging? We even have some customers that, that's rare that will direct messages from social media. Yeah. And so that's, that's coming. And so it's like, how can you meet that customer where they're at? And what's the technology that you can use to do that? And it's not a phone. It's not a piece of paper with a stamp on it either, right? No. No, but you still have, to your point, you still have these clients that think that way. They still want, you know, we've got clients that want the digital strategy. And so the digital strategy to them looks like um, send a letter, make a bunch of phone calls. And then after a period of time, we will let you start to email. And that's, and, and that's, and, and like, so you and I hear stuff like that and you're like, that is so backwards, <laughs> right? That is so backwards. Right. It's just like, do you have some sort of desire to waste all of this time and money and resources? And like, 
Are you just like feeling really good about supporting the U.S. postal system? Because like we can make a donation in your name, but otherwise all you're doing is sort of wasting time. And by the way, particularly with the the new requirements for any sort of outbound written communication, it's not only more expensive than operating digitally, but it also carries sort of different and unique liability as well. Correct. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. We've, we've even seen that litigation. You know, you look at, um, you know, my previous employment, we just didn't see the litigation for the number of contacts that you would normally see if you were doing letters and emails. And so this is what the, and that tells me that this is what the customers, customers really want yes. um, is this digital piece. Now, everybody's going to get there. And the, 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 the creditors that are going to do it very successfully are, one, going to be the ones that are going um, to your conferences, right, first and foremost. So that's, that's important. Oh, Tim, uh, you are talk. so kind to, to uh, for, for that very, very subtle plug, um, listeners, for those of you who don't know, because I've never talked about it on the show before, I'm one of, with some partners, the new proud owner of two industry uh, trade conferences. And if you want to learn more about those, you can check it out on LinkedIn, but I'm not going to waste Tim's airtime with it. Um, but since you mentioned it. Yes, absolutely. And I'm serious because what the, what the creditors are going to see is that, that the digital works. They don't have that experience right now. So even if they roll out this program, which is not the most efficient or effective, eventually they're going to start to see the results and then they're going to pivot there. That's the good news. The bad news is, is that if you are an agency and you have these clients that are not willing to even do this part of the digital strategy, you're going to be stuck in a business that's going to just by itself decline. There's nothing else you can do. You can only call so many times. You can only send so many letters that are not effective and your margins are going to continue to get compressed and you're just not going to see profitability and you're going to see agencies go out of business. So, so as an agency that's out there, you know, that's one of the things you want to be looking at. It's like, where are my clients that are digital focused? It's like, we always go after the same clients, but you want to start putting the criteria now that you're going after clients that have that digital perspective. So you could be building out that side of your operation. Otherwise, there's no reason you won't build it out. And you have to have it. I mean, right. So you won't build it out. You're not going to push your clients to do it. And at the end of the day, everybody loses money in the in the interim. Um, and you're not going to be evolving the way the industry is evolving. So you're sort of going to be left in the dust. I don't know if that's like too bold. Correct. I don't know if that's too bold a statement to make. No, no, because you're seeing it now, right? So you're seeing these that the, the MA activity that we're seeing in the accounts receivable management space is off the charts. Yeah. And it's 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 being done for that reason because of numerous reasons, factors, right? Older owners, you know, that don't want to go through another transition, people that are again afraid of the CFPB. We saw this back in 2008, 2009. Agencies vanished overnight because they just didn't want to do compliance. We saw it with the pandemic. You know, some agencies just didn't even come back. You know, they just shut the doors down and they just didn't come back. And so now we're seeing this M&A activity because of all this and being driven by digital. It is a completely different world. That's why we say we're fintech first, you know, customer focused, fintech first. And we do accounts receivable management as, as, as a part of that, that piece, because that's the, the mentality that you have to have. Um, it's interesting. So you mentioned a few dirty words there. You said CFPB. And you said pandemic, and you mentioned the global economic crisis, like all in 30 seconds. So let's break it down a little bit. I do think that you're right, that the activity that you are seeing now in terms of 
Reg F went into effect six months ago, right? So people um, were only like a wee bit into sort of the actual operational part of what Reg F means from like a day-to-day basis. Who knows how the CFPB is going to supervise and evaluate that? So we'll like get to supervision in a second because there's major news out of the agency um, that affects lots and lots of companies, but including yours, indebted. Um, But you Mm -hmm. also mentioned the pandemic and about how some agencies just couldn't come back from that. I feel as though there's been this like miserable misconception that somehow these years of pandemic were this complete you know, boondoggle for debt collection companies because there was all the stimulus money and there was all of this other stuff. And to me, that presumption is so off the mark because yes, people were paying off their credit card bills and like credit card debt was going down and like maybe debt collection saw a bump for a short period of time, but that really wasn't the case. And when you add in all of the other regulatory restrictions that were occurring during that time, there were a lot of companies that were doing so poorly that they didn't even survive, right? Yes, a- absolutely. I mean, we, we saw significant changes on the technological front. You couldn't come back into the office. You know, there were companies that, that had, you know, their phone system was in the office. And so there was no way that they could even dial, which is the number one way, if they could even get the computers home, right. you know, with people, which is like, I'm going to do what? I mean, yeah, you're going to give your asset to one of your employees and they're going to take it home, you know, which is a whole different mindset. So yeah, there's work from home stuff, the state of like Washington, D.C., we, like yes. we're, we're still in weird limbo with the ability to collect in Washington, D.C. at all. And with some of these uh, pandemic related restrictions. Um, but let's talk about CFPB for a second, because I do think okay. that... For any listeners who um, aren't aware, I did a short segment uh, with Jason Henricks on Breaking Banks. We did a special episode not too long ago about when the CFPB just recently within the past, you know, um, 10 days or so announced that they would be now exercising some dormant supervision authority over companies that had not historically or under rule been permitted to sit under supervision. So for anyone who remembers... In order for the CFPB to, quote, supervise you, and we're not talking about enforcement, we're just talking about supervision, to supervise you, you had to be what was known as a large market participant. That meant as a large market participant, you brought in a certain threshold of money, and Tim, correct me, I think it's $10 million a year. And if you were a smaller company who brought in less than that, You always had to follow the law, you always had to follow the rules, and you always had to be aware of enforcement, but you didn't have to worry about the CFPB showing up at your office and supervising you the same way um, the big players did. That has all changed now, hasn't it, Tim? Yes, yes. And I'm I'm surprised it took this long to get there Uh, because, you know, we've we've seen the CFPB very be aggressive in the past. Certainly. Um, even coming into the auto space, the auto finance space, before they had regulatory authority. So being in that space years and years ago, I saw the CFPB come in with a, with the Department of Justice, as an example, as a way to get in and start the regulation, um, all that. And, and we've got, you know, everybody's familiar with UDAP and, and that announcement you were talking about that came out about 10 days ago was a, was a UDAP, hey, we can, if you're doing anything that touches the consumer and it has anything to do with finance, uh welcome to the world of you know supervision and so 
it's not surprising, especially, you know, in the current realm of the CFPB where we are right now, it's not surprising that, that we've, we've had it. Um, so it's, it's even companies like indebted that are not large market participants to your point, it's $10 million on average over three years. Um, you know, and you have a company that's growing exponentially, we'd be lucky if we had two or 18 months, uh, because we'll be at that number, but it doesn't matter anymore because the CAPB has said, Hey, we want to come in. We're going to, we're going to come in and say hello, um, and introduce ourselves to you. And, and we'll start to have that conversation. Uh, the process though, by which they can exercise their dormant authority, isn't exactly the same, um, as the process by which they can do that with a large market participant, for example, um, they have to True. make some at least initial demonstration that whatever activity they have been alerted to demonstrates a, quote, risk uh, to consumers, and then the company will have an opportunity to respond. And we haven't seen it play out yet, but what do you think that process is realistically going to look like? I think that process is going to be kind of what they've always done, even from an examination perspective. Early on, they were always looking at complaints. They were always looking at social media. They're very social media savvy. They're looking at Google reviews. They're, you know, better business reviews. And, and some of the articles that I've read on that talked about that. That's no surprise. Right. And so where are they seeing some complaints and where does it rise to the level, whatever that level is, that to them, this seems to be significant consumer harm they're going to come in and, and, and knock on the door and say, hey, this is what we think is going on. Show us that that's not the case, which is fascinating, <laughs> you know, because if you look at it, collection agencies historically have not cared about their online reputation. Just Google, you know, go into Google yeah. Maps and then type in any agency's name and then see what their, see what their ratings are. And then you have, you have a company like Indebted who's got a 4.9 Google rating and over 1,700 um, customers have given us uh, a rating to get us to that four point, that 4.9 rating. And so if this, the, what better defense when the CAPB comes in, when you can point to that, you can point to the CAPB portal that you don't have significant complaints based, because we can all see what everybody's complaints are. We've all got that access. Yes, it is all wonderfully publicly available. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So if they wanted to come to you, this is a great way to, 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 to push back and say, it's almost like when we learn criminal law, right? It's you had to have reasonable yeah. suspicion, right? That's what the CAPB has said that they needed to have, something like reasonable suspicion. Well, where is that reasonable suspicion when you don't have the complaints, when you have the five-star? So we really are going to have to care about what our online reputation looks like and handling those complaints, which... All the agencies do. Most of the agencies are very, very responsive for the CAPB complaints. Um, I totally so. agree with you. But what you are talking about right now is not divorced from the customer focus that you were talking about when we when we first started our conversation, right? So first of all, totally agree with you. Any organization who is not concerned about their online brand management, and that's how I view it, it's really your brand management, um, isn't doing anything affirmative to, you know, address search results and ensure that their online reputation mirrors what their actual reputation is. Look, if you've got a bad reputation offline, you're going to have a bad reputation online and there's nothing anybody can do about it. But making sure that you've got service providers and technologists who are savvy enough to ensure that you do that, I do think you're right, especially in light of what the CFPB has said. Um, 
And if anyone needs people who are super savvy in that, message me offline because I've got a number of great recommendations for companies who can utilize service providers to help them maintain their brand management. So that's, you know, one less thing that you guys have to worry about. Um, But most importantly, uh, the exercise of that dormant authority by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the inputs that they are getting, Tim, I think you're right. It's social, it's their complaint portal, but they also have these MOUs, these memorandums of understanding with other agencies. So- for anyone listening, and Tim can add in his his two cents here, the inputs of information that the Bureau is getting come from so many other sources, ones that you're able to see that are publicly available and plenty that you're not. Every state regulator, every attorney, state's attorney general, the FTC, the, you know, in some cases it might be the OCC, the Department of Justice, they are all working together and in concert. So even if you are not aware of situations, don't just focus on the complaint portal um, or online. Keep in the back of your mind that every single, all of yep. these other inputs are going to be now informing their decision on whether or not they're going to exercise their dormant authority on you. Yes, you're absolutely right. And they're getting it from other you know, from other uh, bodies that they're regular. Yes. You know, they get a lot of information from credit reporting agencies, a lot of information because they've been in there for, for a very, very long time. And so that was some of my past experience was because of the, the products, the amount of products we were buying and stuff. The CPB saw us as a prime candidate for examination very, very early on uh, because of that. So they have all of this data that they're, they're, they're bringing in. But you're right, those MOUs are, are very, very powerful. And sometimes you've seen, we've seen examinations in the past where CPB is saying they're showing up and then 19 state regulators are coming with Surprise! them. Surprise! Right? It's just like, this is going to be a party. It's going yeah. to be a regulator so. party. Um, so one interesting additional aspect that we haven't yet touched on about the CFPB's announcement of the exercise of their dormant authority is that Director Chopra has publicly stated that transparency with regards to the results of said supervision examinations, while historically had remained confidential, are now going to be made publicly available. Mm -hmm. This is a massive departure from previous practice. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think when we, you know, thinking back on my experience even it was like you got the the letter and the phone call from the CAPB and you weren't allowed to tell anybody right can't tell anybody any of that stuff and now and nobody really wanted to though clients like to know that you you know the CAPB had been in there and that they there's nothing that there's nothing that came out publicly that was the positive stuff now you've got this opportunity where they're going to be they're probably going to be on the front end. Hey, we're going into, you know, XYZ company because of this issue, right? And we've, we've seen this. I think it was the latest one was, um, this is with one of the credit reporting agencies where the CAPB has turned around and, and sued them. It was very, very public about it. I think they're, 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 yes. du- they're duking it yes. out with TU right now. Yeah. And, and th- this gave TU the opportunity to come back, you know, and say, no, here's what's really going on. Here's where we think that the CAPB is overbroad or, or whatever. So I think the CAPB opening this door doesn't realize necessarily the door that they've opened. 
because they can't have it both ways. They can't demand that we be confidentially quiet about it and they go out and be publicly loud about it. You know, that, that piece is never going to be allowed. So the second the CAPB is involved, you, there's where you can start that, that PR that is, you know, we've been contacted by the CAPB and we're here to work with them. And, but here's what our concerns are. You know, we're going to, we're going to see this shift, probably not in the agency space first, because we're not really known for PR in the agency not space. Not yet, but it sounds but like crisis point, communications, it, brand it, management, all of those things that, yes. you know, historically larger organizations have always had sort of ready on the fly. Those are things that if you want to remain successful in the industry in which you're operating, you've got to get sorted out and you've got to be ready. And, and it, by the time you get the call or get the letter, it's too late. You have to be ready before then. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're going to be scrambling. You're going to be reactive instead of proactive. And you want to be prepared to be proactive here. So I think it's, 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 it's definitely changed the game, Dara. It'll be interesting to see how it, how it gets used and, and what happens from it. But um, it maybe even give us a little bit more transparency into seeing here's where the CAPB is going and what they're looking at, which gives us, the rest of us who are not that person, <laughs> that agency or that company, a chance to, to be proactive and try to resolve that situation. So first we had regular rulemaking, and then we had rulemaking by enforcement, and now we're going to have de facto rulemaking by supervision too? Yes, it's called public rulemaking. Just put it out there in publicity, yeah. Do you think that the publication of examination results is going to lead to increased civil liability, like private litigation, for these companies that are on the unfortunate end of having examination results made public before having an opportunity to have that public debate about it because you and I both know that there is a wonderfully robust cottage industry of these plaintiffs firms that will take whatever the CFPB has made public, construe it for their own purposes. And you're going to see those allegations parroted in complaint after complaint after complaint in the federal district courts, or at least that's my feeling. What are your thoughts on that? No, I agree 100% with you. I mean, the, the plaintiff's bar is very good at manufacturing, you know, the, the next claim. Uh, and in, in, in their defense, to some sense, the industry is is as squeaky clean as it's ever been because of the, you know, the, the regulators and the plaintiff's bar to a certain extent. It's, it's the players out there that just sue you for the cost of business lawsuits that doesn't make the industry any better. Um, I think those are the ones that are problems. We're starting to see courts push back on that. But I think you're absolutely right. You're going to have this where they're going to take whatever information they can and say, can we turn this into a class? Because it's now publicly right. available. And then how's that agency going to defend that class? But you said it beautifully earlier. You know, the, the best PR to have, right, is that customer. You're already focused on the customer, right? That you're already responsive to their complaints, that you're already you know, meeting their preference needs and all of that other stuff. And that, that makes it harder for plaintiff's lawyers to even find sure, plaintiffs, of course, you know, and that's course. one of the levers that we, that we could pull, you know, meet the customer where they want to be met, treat them the way they want to be treated. The likelihood of them suing drops dramatically. It doesn't eliminate it, but it drops it dramatically. So that even if the CPB is, you know, publicly putting something out there about, you know, you don't letter enough and somebody's trying to turn that into a claim of some sort, right? Then, you know, 
then you could at least say it's going to be hard for them to to. Something to tell me the CFPB is not going to complain about an agency not lettering enough. I don't. I don't. I don't know. The United States Postal Service is a governmental, quasi-governmental agency, and so they all work together. So maybe there's some revenue sharing Where that can happen. Our postage, <laughs> our postage from the mail houses has decreased dramatically, guys. Well, if that if that was what they wanted to do, they needed to make written communications a little bit more friendly uh, to send under under the new rules. Um, but with the tear offs and the this, and but they, the, but they ah, did, Dar. Yeah. They got that beautiful it's scissors. True. We've got like, dotted lines you know, that we can follow yeah, now. So it, it, it's true. My, my, yes, my, little, my, little, my little ones know how to do it. Um, but as you and I both know, the rules right. that have been put in place, even for something as simple as sending a simple piece of written, printed written communication to a consumer has become exponentially more expensive than it was two years ago. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And the risk, just the risk. You still see the majority of class action cases are revolving yeah. around letters. So the risk with every communication, so it's not just the postage and the expense that goes with it, but it's also the risk that goes with it. Because it's easy to take that piece of paper in and give it to your lawyer. That's what a lot of them do. It sort of adds insult, right? Because it's like, ugh, not only is this more the most difficult to comply with, it's also the most expensive and the most likely to get me sued. Yeah, sign me up. Like, wh- if you have a viable alternative, why in the world would you do why in the world would you do that? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the fundamental shift that the CAPB wants, right? They want this digital. They want, you know, all kidding aside about the United States Postal Service there. They want that direction because it's better for the customer. And and it is. You know, consumers move a lot. And um, we're gonna see a lot of move, more movement now that sort of we've come out of this this last two year cycle. And it's going to be, they want their rights to, to, to the customer to get their rights. They always have their rights. They don't have to worry about, you know, put that letter down and lost their rights. And they'll want the ability to self-serve. They don't have to so, talk to an agency. That's the so driving that digital, digital focus though, right? The way that the industry used to validate data that came from the banks or, you know, credit card issuers or auto finance companies, it was very much focused on mailing addresses, physical mailing addresses, and phone numbers. And then we sort of sprinkled in cell phone numbers, which cell phones have their own special sets of of rules and um, ways that those have to be treated. But now with the focus on digital, there's obviously industry participants, innovators who have been digitally focused before now, but now even more industry participants are becoming digitally focused but the quality of the data that most of these companies get in order to truly pursue a proper digital focus is a little less safe than previously because mm-hmm. email addresses are easy to create, verifying who they belong to. So there are some extra hoops. And I, I think, and I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about this, I really believe that the banks and the creditors um, and the people who are either placing or selling these consumer accounts need to do a far better job at validating the quality of their digital communication data as opposed to a mailing address, which I can skip trace and verify with a credit bureau if I want to. I can't do the same for email, not really yet. There's lots of databases out there. The quality of them are, you know, in question, perhaps. 
Um, some of them are better than others, but yep. what are your thoughts on sort of that data integrity piece? It's a great point because we still see a lot of issues with the data. Like some agents, some creditors can't send you an email address. It's just never been in the file format, right? So they have to send you it in a separate, you know, CSV file or something along those lines, which just is just right for, yeah. for, for mistakes, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Emails are interesting. They're, they're like Google Gmail, you know, Google's Gmail and Yahoo and all those, you can't reuse those email addresses. So it's not like an email portability issue, but you're right. It's easy enough to spin up another email address. And, you know, especially if you're trying to take out another loan or, you know, get another credit card, online credit card or something along those lines. So there is that potential that's out there. And then workplace emails are like a tre- are treacherous and, yes. and disfavored uh, yes. by the CFPB because there's a privacy issue because most employers have the right to access their employees' email. And when we're worried about, you know, privacy and ensuring that there's no improper disclosure of of personal financial information, it's just real. It's just real tricky. It's these are not insurmountable issues, but they are. There, there do need to be better protocols and standards among the originating and issuing banks so that companies like yours and all debt collection organizations can do their jobs properly and compliantly. They can't tie your hands and then complain about results. Right, exactly. But I think what you're going to see shift is you're going to see agencies that are going to be more focused on the data themselves. And so they're really going to become these data providers, you know, where they're going to scrub the data. They're going to look at other accounts. They're going to tie it back to a customer They're because it's already happening from a digital exposure perspective. You know, right now they're in the old days, it was all tied to an account. So if Tim Collins had four accounts, it was four different accounts in the system. Most of the legacy systems are all set up that way today with seven and seven and, you know, um, email deliverability and all those other things, you have to be very, very careful on what, you know, how many times you're contacting the consumer, making sure that they're capturing preference and all that stuff. But that means that they have to be really good with that data, that digital data. It sounds like you've just made an argument for the entire concept of digital identity in Web3. Um, so yes. thank you for doing that for me. So I didn't have to do it um, at the end of the episode. Um, so no doubt the industry has gone through major, major changes, is continuing to go through major changes. We're seeing increased scrutiny from regulators, obviously. Um, but it also sounds like the silver lining here is that there are companies out there like Indebted who are who are taking charge um, and, you know, being leaders in the space and, you know, basically paving the path for these digital first customer focused experiences. Yes, absolutely. And you're now starting to see some vendors that are going in that direction too. You know, legacy agencies are now realizing they have to go in this direction. They're pushing their vendors to say, look, we need to be able to communicate. And so there are some, there's some great companies out there that are now starting to fill that gap, if you, if you will, um, as it relates to, to, to that data management and that customer focused and how do we get reviews? You know, how do we get feedback from customers? Uh, and it all fits in, right? If, if you can do well by the customer, like where we started, what you talked about so beautifully, Dar, if we can be focused on that customer, then that can, that can result in good reviews, less complaints, more profitability, right? You know, more satisfied, you know, customers that are out there, less regulatory exposure, less litigation exposure. And so it's, it's less of us being in control 
you know, and it's more of letting that customer be in control and being able to to, to drive that customer experience themselves. And that's super well, exciting. It sounds like wins all around, which is exactly what we want for the customer, the company, and to make the regulators happy or as happy as they can be. I don't know if they're ever happy. If my listeners want to learn more about you and Indebted, where should they go? Wow. Just go out to the Indebted website. So it's indebted.co, C-O. And then you can see all of our, um, you can even find us on LinkedIn, but on our website, you can see all the past articles and blog posts and stuff like that. And, you know, we were just honored with being the number one company to work for in Australia. And so, which is a, you know, Congratulations. Yeah. Well, it's really focusing on, you know, if you can make your employees happy, uh, we have a four day work week. We, we pay good wages. We do good benefits, you know, that that makes a difference in the way that they, they, they think about the customer and the way that they treat the customer. So, uh, but you can check us out uh, there. LinkedIn is a great place to check us. Please feel free to follow us on LinkedIn. Um, because it's always, you can, we love sharing the information and things that we're doing because we fundamentally want to change the way debt collection is done around the world. So not just here in the United States, but if we can get it, if we can get it right here, we can get it right pretty much everywhere. That's typically what an American would say anyway. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, Tim, after all of this time, thank you so much for joining me on the show. And I'm so excited that we got to talk about not only all of like the regulatory nerdy lawyer stuff that you and I, you know, um, you know, shoot the breeze about anyway, but really about how exciting and different and innovative um, your new organization is. And I'm super excited uh, to see how you grow um, and where the company goes um, and wishing you guys nothing but absolute success. Thanks, Dara. This has been an honor and privilege. It was, it was a lot of fun. I highly recommend it to anybody and do it sooner than later. I wish I would have been here sooner, but thank you for <laughs> Thank you for having me. Uh, You're welcome. So, okay, listeners, if you want to learn about Indebted, um, you go where Tim told you to go. And until next time, thank you for listening.